Uh, just a notice, we had a, a worship group social last night, and someone left a mobile phone at the manse. Hey, gotcha. Julia's got it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I thought I won't pry into it. <laughs> ah. Well, here we are, another new year. Here we go. Yeah. When Jesus was 30 years old, he began his public ministry. You know, you, we, we, we've kind of just done Christmas. He was born, now we're jumping up 30 years. Right? Jesus was 30 before he began his public ministry. And the first thing he did was to gather around him a group of guys um, who he could train. In fact, this is so important. This is, this is the way to look at something, the way that churches grow. is You just get a group of people and you need to train people up to live their lives to God. In fact, what Jesus did is he took 12 guys and turned the world upside down as a result of it. All right? Jesus took these men and they became called his disciples. Many times in the Bible, Jesus invites people to become disciples. If we have on the screen the first verse from Matthew chapter 9, uh, I think I read it to you earlier, as Jesus was going down the road, he saw Matthew sitting in his tax collection booth. Come and be my disciple, Jesus said. So Matthew got up and followed him. Right? And he's asking the same kind of question to us today. Come and be my disciple. In 2017, let's be disciples of Jesus. Now, there's a, there's a nuanced difference between just being a believer and being a disciple. Because you can believe something and never go anywhere with it. Right? I've met a lot of people who believe God. They believe in a God, but they're not following, they're not doing it, not actively getting into gear. They're sitting on their rear instead, you know. They're standing still or sitting still, not really going. A disciple is someone who goes, someone who gets up and follows. In literally comes, the term disciple comes from a Latin word, but in the Greek uh, that we have in the, in the New Testament, in that sense, it just literally means someone who is a student, a learner, someone who is an apprentice, you might say someone who is being mentored by someone, you know, just being trained as a disciple. And over these next three weeks, I want us to look at what I call some marks of being a disciple. We're going to do two each week, right? And we're going to look at six marks of what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple in our generation? Now, the word disciple is used in the Bible in a number of different ways. In one sense, it's off, it refers to anyone who is being trained by someone else. Right? You're, someone's in training, they've been you know, under a supervisor. So um, Moses discipled Joshua. Right? Um, Elijah discipled Elisha. Elisha then went and had his own disciples. You know, John the Baptist had some disciples. He, he kind of trained people up, and they followed him. And uh, Paul... Paul had Timothy as one of his disciples. Paul had a load of others. You know, it was about six or seven of them that he just took on the road with him and they travelled together and he taught them and he, that experience gave them a shape as he taught them through. Uh, I know as uh, someone who likes to sit down and, and just mentor other people, if you want to be mentored and you want to spend time, that's the key thing, you want to spend some time, then actually, yeah, find someone. I'm available if you want but it takes some time. I think there's a great 
privilege in being mentored. My pastor mentored me. A vet who had once been a missionary in Ghana mentored me as a teenager when I was wayward. <laughs> Probably told you this story. I remember the day I was, I was kind of in trouble with the police and, you know, pretty much everybody else in the church didn't really want to know me, <laughs> you know. I was a bit rebellious and horrible, but this guy kind of took me down to the quarantine area in Southampton Docks while he measured the temperatures of cows. <laughs> kind of putting your hand up the rear end. What a place to be discipled. <laughs> but I'll never forget it. Out of all the crowd, there was one guy who took some time and he just was there for me. But it travelled on and then different people helped me and I've helped different people. I look back and joyed during my sabbatical, spent time back in London meeting a guy who came off the street, got to know the Lord... And I mentored him, and he's now the pastor of my old church. You know, it just grows. You see, being a disciple, you're just being taught by someone else. Second way it's being used, it's often used of physically, the twelve disciples. Right? We we often we know that term, the disciples, so to speak. And a third way it's used in the book of Acts, it's actually a synonym, if I say that right, a synonym of the word Christian. Because actually in the beginning of the Bible, in the early days of the New Testament church, they weren't called Christians. It was only when that faith and that church spilled out of Israel and went into Antioch, and it was there that they were first called Christians. Before that, they were just disciples. Disciples of Jesus, disciples of the way. But eventually the disciples become uh, called Christians as well. But I want to look at this term, the way Jesus uses it, and because uh, he takes this very common uh, word, in a sense, disciple, and he infuses it and injects it with some more meaning. So I want to look at how Jesus' definition of, this, of what it means to be a disciple. Because about ten times in the New Testament, Jesus will say things like, if you do this, then you can be my disciple. Or if you do that, you can be my disciple. Or in another place, he'll say, he might say, if you don't do this you won't be my disciple. And several times there's these kind of references that Jesus is using disciple in a slightly different way to the general norm. He wants to use it in a kind of more radical way. And I want us to see what are these marks of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the first one, and I would, I would ask you, if you're taking notes, write some of this down. This will help you to remember. The first mark of being a disciple is that you spend time with Jesus. Simple as that, right? I must spend time with Jesus. In fact, I must spend quite a bit of time with him, a lot of time. That's what it means to be a disciple. Like any relationship, the more you invest, the more you're going to get out of it. You can't be a part-time disciple and just kind of, I'm going, well, I'll just fit it into, his, into my schedule. Now, actually, when you become a disciple, you fit into the other person's schedule. You know, when I'm learning to be trained by someone else, I fit into their schedule. You know, if someone says, well, I can, you know, I want to meet you at six o'clock in the morning, I'm going to fit into their schedule. And we can work things out. 
but being trained by somebody else, you don't, you don't call the shots. You kind of submit to say, right, I want to learn. And being a disciple is spending time with Jesus. To know him, to get to know him better. You can't be a disciple if you're trying to do it with just a few minutes a day or just coming on a Sunday. There's a sense that when you're a Christian, as I say, it's not just about it believing, it's about getting into gear and moving on. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 12. If you want to be my disciple, you must come and follow me because my servants must be where I am. And I want to unpack that verse. There is kind of three things about spiritual growth that uh, is in this verse. And as, as your pastor, one of my desires is to help you all grow spiritually. I can't make you grow spiritually. I want to help you, not just this year, but every year of your life. So I want you, if you're making notes, write these things down. Put it down. I want you to kind of really get it into your mind. If you want to spiritually grow, you have to make a choice to do it. Jesus put it, said, if you want to be my disciple, please circle that word, want. If you want to be my disciple, you don't have to be. No one's forcing you. No one forced me. It's do you want to be? I would hope that we would encourage each other to be. But do you want to be a disciple? Do you want to follow Jesus? you want to know what he's got in store for you? How life can be radically different? Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, then you must make the choice. You must decide. You must want to grow. Spiritual growth is a choice that you have. It's a choice that you have. At the end of this year, 2017, whether you are spiritually stronger or more mature is up to you. Hmm? It's the choice that you have made. Spiritual growth isn't something that is automatic. It's not something that's inevitable just because we've turned up at church or even that we go to a, a life group or do read our Bible every day. It's not automatic that it's just going to happen. It's a choice, a decision that you have made that I am going to be different at the end of this year. It's a choice to grow. You can grow old without growing up. You know what I mean by that, don't you? I can think of some of our children well, say my children. <laughs> they are growing older. I don't always know if they're growing up. <laughs> you know about it. Some adults, isn't it? You can see them. You think, yeah, they've really got old, but they have not matured. Well, that happens in a spiritual terms in our Christian faith. We may have been around for a donkey's years, but have we grown up? Have we become stronger and maturer in our faith that we can actually help others with that? Jesus says you've got to have a choice. And this is where I think it's very important that you understand the difference between a goal and a desire. Right? You have to understand the difference between what is a goal and what is a desire. 
Because, you see, you can make it a spiritual goal. Remember last week at the family, uh, the, the, the prayer service we had, and many of you wrote down kind of what it is you wanted to present to God. Uh, and I, and you, I didn't ask you to write names on them, so that was great. I just had a, a little general look through them, and I was absolutely thrilled to see the number that were saying, I want to know God better, I want to read my Bible more, I'd like to learn to pray better, you know, and spend more time in prayer. I want to, you know, learn to share my faith with other people. They're all very positive things. And I can say that they are good goals. And many of them are good goals. Because a goal, you see, is something that does not depend on other people. A desire often does depend on other people. You see, with a goal, it's something that you're in control of. With just a general desire, it's something that other people can be in control of. So if I say that, you know, when people talk to me about church vision or something like that, I might say, oh, I want to, I want to set as a goal that all of us share our faith this year. Do you know what? There'll be 150 people here who can mess that up. <laughs> because I can't control whether you do it or not. So you can't set that as your goal, because if you get your sense of worth and of success and of satisfaction out of a goal that you've made that is totally dependent on how other people live, you're going to feel rotten because they just mess it up for you. I know because I've been there. I make goals for myself that I have no control of. And then when you look back on it and you kind of think, man, what a silly thing to make as a goal. I said a little bit earlier, my desire as your pastor is to see and to help you all mature but I can't make you do it. You can mess that up for me. (laughs) So it's a desire, but not a goal. And so when you come and make these resolutions saying, I want to read my Bible more. I want to pray a little bit better. I want to, you know, be more friendly and share my, you know, the good things God's given me. Those, Those needs to be goals that nobody else can mess up. And being a disciple and deciding that I'm going to mature, I'm going to be stronger, I'm going to follow God better, needs to become a goal because you've made the choice that this is what I will do and nothing else can affect it. Now, there'll be circumstances that will come against you. And you know, it's like, I'm going to say, if you set yourself, I want to spend 15 minutes a day in prayer. It's achievable. Because you're in control of that. I know you may say, oh, well, you don't know my household and my work and the kids and my husband. Oh, my goodness me. No, you can find 15 minutes if you want to. One thing I've noticed is whenever you put on events, people will get to what they want to go to. (laughs) Oh, I don't like coming out in the evening. If you go to a restaurant, I can get to that one. (laughs) We can do what we choose to do. My first thing, if I want to be a disciple, I want to spend time with Jesus, it has to be my choice. It has to be a choice. You are as close to God as you choose to be. Do you, you realise that? Hmm. So you can't blame your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife. You can't blame your kids. You can't blame your pastor. It's what you want. All the other people can help and encourage or even discourage, but do you choose? 
If you want to be my disciple, Jesus said. Spiritual growth is a choice. Secondly, in this, spiritual growth is a commitment. See, you must commit to grow. Right? You've got to, you know, be, make your mind up in that sense. This is the year I'm putting into gear. I'm going to go forward. I'm not just going to sit down and do nothing. I want to go forwards. And so Jesus puts it like this. If you want to be my disciple, the next one, please, and it says, you must come. Oh, no, we've gone too far ahead. You must come and follow me. It gets active. It's not just making the decision. You've got to do it, haven't you? You've got to take it up. And this is true in every area of life. We grow by making commitments. Marriage, well, I found anyway, marriage caused me to grow up a bit. You know? You make a commitment and you can't just be the selfish old geezer that you were before. You know? Marriage makes you grow. Kids make you grow up, don't they? You, know, you, you make a commitment well, at least for 18 years or something like that, you know. <coughs> you know, and it makes you grow up. You take a new job and you take a commitment there, you, you grow up a bit because you've made a commitment. Commitments, you see, make you grow. And you have to be committed in order to go forwards and to grow spiritually as well. Choosing to go to a college course is a commitment that will make you grow. In fact... If you don't make commitments in life, you're probably in perpetual immaturity because you never make a commitment. Commitment makes you grow. So you don't just decide it, yeah, I want to, I have to. I've got to get off my backside and move forward. I've got to do something about it. And that's why Jesus said, follow me. And it's one of the things I love about it. For many, many years, I used to think that actually my job as a pastor was to push you all. I've got to push you. I've got to kind of push you all to follow God. I've got to make you, are you really doing this? My job as a pastor is to force you to do that. Jesus never did it that way. And I had a breakthrough some years ago that I've got to stop trying to do it that way. The responsibility is on to you. He said, follow me. He gave the responsibility to you or to me, about ourselves. Follow me. My job is to equip and encourage and teach and train, but I can't push you, I can't force you into it. As soon as I stop forcing you, you'll stop, because you're not doing it of your own free will. You make the choice, you make the commitment. I'm going to follow this life that God wants for me as a disciple of Jesus. So I can't blame anybody else. I make this commitment. But here's the problem. You can't be committed to everything, can you? And neither should you. You shouldn't be committed to everything. In fact, actually, if you're committed to everything, you're probably committed to nothing. Because you just can't live that way. So selection is the name of the game, so to speak. You have to discern what it is I need to be committed to. And that's where my job comes in. (laughs) Or house group leaders or good friends around you, people who you look up to, is to help us grow spiritually by gradually making us wiser and taking deeper commitments because this is what Jesus invites us to do. 
You see, you don't expect a newborn baby to go and run a marathon. In the same way you don't expect a new Christian to be at the same kind of level of someone who's been a Christian for 30 or 40 years. It's unreasonable, isn't it? No, we need, there's a process of development. And if you study the New Testament and you, and you study every time that Jesus uses this phrase, come, come follow me, come and see, you see that actually through the Gospels, Jesus is asking more and more of us. And so at the beginning, you see, you'll find in first invitation Jesus gives is John chapter 1. I read it earlier on. John chapter 1, some disciples of John the Baptist were saying, where are you staying, Jesus? And he just says, come and see. I mean, that is about the lowest level of commitment you're asking for, isn't it? Come and see. <laughs> you know, all you've got to do is, well, yeah, I'll come and see. You know, that is what we say, that's what I say, what you should be saying to all your friends, just come and see. No level of commitment. You don't have to sacrifice anything. You don't have to give anything. You don't have to sing a song if you don't want to. You know, no one's going to ask you anything. Just come and see. My last church in London grew rapidly because people brought people to church. Simply because they just said, come and see. I would think this year needs to be some times when you just invite some friends. They know you go to church. Why don't you just say, well, you come and see. And that'll cause a nice discussion for you later on, wouldn't it? Just come and see. I've told you before about the man who came to a wedding here. And the following Sunday, he turned up at the door. And he said, I liked what you said yesterday, so I've come to check you out. <laughs> Great. He sat in the balcony for about a year. Then he turned up at my doorstep with a bottle of red wine. Never say no. <laughs> we sat down and talked through evolution for a couple of weeks. And I'm not an expert. <laughs> he just wants to check things out. I don't know where you are in your walk with God. And some of you, this may be the very first kind of steps, thinking, well, what's this about? Well, very little commitment is made just to come and see. Come and check it out. If I told you about my friend Malcolm years ago, he was a drug addict, <clears throat> and he was flying from New York back to London, and he had a fear of flights. And he was in the toilets of uh, one of whatever New York airport he was at, smoking a joint of marijuana <laughs> and praying. Just sort of saying, God, if, if you get me back to London safe, if you're there, I'll check you out. And he was true to his word. He landed in Gatwick and he walked out of Gatwick Airport to find the nearest church. The first one he found was uh, a rather liberal Anglican church uh, and he knocked on the door and, uh, and he said, I'm, I'm, I'm here to check out God. I think he's real. I need to know about him. And praise God, this liberal Anglican said, I think you need to go to the evangelical church down the road. <laughs> so, you know, because you do need to know, go to the right place, don't you? And he did. And he went on and gave his life to the Lord. His life was totally changed. Uh, wonderful worker for Jesus, helping deprived young people in South London. You know, why? Because he just said, I'm, I'm going to check this out. 
How many times do we meet someone who is just saying, oh, I don't believe in God? Well, you've never even thought about him. How can you say you don't even believe? You can't trust the Bible? You've never read it. Check it out. Come and see. Right? Jesus goes on. He goes to a deeper level. Gets to Matthew and he says, come and follow me. Oh. We'll just see it. Now there's, you know, do something. Follow me. Many of the invitations Jesus gives at that stage are just kind of, they're full of, of um, promises to meet needs. Let me just read some of these out. In, uh, in Matthew 11, he says, well, look, if you're tired, why don't you come to me and I'll give you some rest? Come. It's Jesus giving an invitation. John 7, he says, if you're thirsty, come to me and, uh, and you can drink. He's talking about spiritual drink, isn't he? Spiritual rest. For the darkness, for the, you know, yeah, if you follow me, John 8, and you, you won't stumble in the darkness. Wow. John 5, come to me and you'll have life. He's inviting them to come and he's going to meet their needs. You know, one of my favorites is John 21, where after the resurrection, and Jesus says to his sons, Come, let's have breakfast. <laughs> you know, Jesus, just come, I'm going to meet some needs here. Are you prepared to take it the next stage? I'll, you know, I've, I'm checking it out. But actually, God has so much stuff for us. Come and have life. Come and be, have your thirst quenched. Come and be saved. Come and have breakfast. Come and rejoice and have these burdens lifted. And as time goes on, he begins to require more and more of his disciples, helping in their growing, in their commitment. So in Mark 8, he says, Come and deny yourself. Or in Matthew 8, he says, Come, follow me, and let the dead bury their own dead. Get your priorities changed. Or in Luke 14, You can't be my disciple unless you give up everything. Luke 9, Come, follow me, and take up your cross. He's turning up the heat. Where are you in this process of discipleship? He's always asking slightly more because, you know, if we are growing in Christ, he's got a plan. He wants more for us. The Bible says we need to spend time with Jesus and that's because it's, first of all, our choice. It's a commitment that we make. And thirdly, in that verse that we've been looking at, it says spiritual growth is about a relationship. It's not about rules, it's not about rituals, it's not about having a formula, it's not about a certain set of expectations, it's about being with Jesus. My servants must be where I am. Spiritual growth is about being with Jesus. You know in Acts chapter 4, after all the, uh, the day of Pentecost and the church has started, 3,000 have been added, the several disciples have been arrested and then they get released miraculously. You know, what is it that the Jewish Pharisees turn out? They just said, these men have been with Jesus. What a wonderful thing that was said, if it was said of you, she's been with Jesus, he's been with Jesus. That was his plan all along. When he appointed the twelve, it was that they might be with him. 
It's the goal of discipleship, to be with Jesus, isn't it? Then he will send them out to proclaim the word. And what does it mean to be a disciple today, 2017? Because Jesus isn't here physically. So how do we be with him? Well, we can pray, and we can read our Bible, and we can fellowship, and we can learn together. We have received his spirit, the hope of glory that now dwells within us. That's what a Christian is. When you believe, he comes and dwells with you. But I believe, actually, one of the things that I would love us to get more and more of is just learning to talk to God all the time. Hmm? Learn to talk to God all the time. Have a running conversation with Jesus. Uh, and I just want to share a little how this, I developed this in my life because... Um, I, I, I like to think that I talk, talk to him most of the time. <laughs> and you can talk to God uh, a lot of the time. In fact, I can talk to him at the same time as I'm talking to you or at the same time as I'm listening to you. And often it is. Someone will be coming and asking me something and I'm actually saying, Lord, help me because I have the faintest idea of what to say back. <laughs> yes, you know, someone comes with me a question. I'm, oh, Lord. Yeah, why? Because I'm just in this conversation. Now, when I started this some years ago, and I just wanted to grow, and I think, Lord, I just want to be able to talk with you. Some of the greatest spiritual people, they're, they're connected, aren't they? They've got communion. And I began to talk to him, and I, and I had difficulties. I couldn't learn, I couldn't discern what God was saying or what was a stupid idea in my own head. And I'll never forget this wonderful guy that really helped me. In fact, it was um, a guy from Christians in Sport. I was doing an alpha course <coughs> with a group from Christian Sports in Amersham or somewhere like that. <laughs> they based up that way somewhere else. No, maybe it was. Well, we're going back a long time ago. But um, <coughs> this guy came to me and he said, Peter, what's your trouble? He said, if you've asked God to talk to you and then you get an idea pop into your head, why do you think it wasn't God? <laughs> you know, if you are surrendering yourself and saying, Lord, I just come to you, I've confessed my sins, I want you to commune with me and to talk with me and share what's on your heart, and then you get an idea that comes into your mind, why do I think that must have come from the devil then? <laughs> See, the devil puts ideas in your head and we call it temptation. God puts ideas into our minds and we call it inspiration, don't we? We need to learn to turn the dude. But when we surrender, I said, when I say, I want to live for you, yeah, it took me a long time. I kept thinking, I've got to hear a voice. Oh, I'm going to hear a voice somewhere. No, I don't think I've ever heard an audible voice that told me this or that. I get worried when people hear voices. I kind of think, do we need a psychiatrist around? You know, <laughs> you know? But I know that inner voice. Do you know what I mean? I maybe you have heard voices. like the man I used to know who nearly every other week he saw angels. I've never seen an angel. <laughs> but he used to say, oh, there was, a, there was an angel behind you this morning, Pastor, as you were preaching. I thought, oh, I wish I knew that. <laughs> I mean, it sounds weird, but I've never heard a voice. But as I surrender to God and I just want to live my life, and you know me, folks, and there's nothing perfect about me, 
I know I joke about only the first mistake I've ever made, but it is a joke. (laughs) But I just want us to grow. I want myself to grow. And one of the best ways is just to learn to be in communion with God all the time. It's just walking with him. You can't really see the picture here, maybe, but behind it's just the footsteps and the sand. As someone's walking, I'm walking in the footsteps of Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to hear his voice. I want to live the way he wants me to. That's my desire for you. That you would learn to hear him and follow him and to know him better. Just that communion. He wants us to spend time with him. The truth is that you've got to be with him. And the more time you spend with him, and I'm not talking about formal Bible study time, I'm talking where it's just your life. You can talk to him in the garden, you can talk to him in the garage, you can talk to him when you're washing up, you can talk to him when you're driving. Just learn, get into the rhythm of life where actually you know God is with me always. That's the promise of Jesus, isn't it? I am with you always, so therefore, Lord, just show me what's the right thing. I want to surrender to your way, so you, you will do it. I, I pray that this will be a year where we all move on in our conversation with God. Jesus said, you've got to spend time with me if you'll be my disciple. The second mark of a disciple that I want to share this morning is that if you want to be his disciple, you must love Jesus supremely. You must love Jesus supremely. Here's what he says in Luke 14. If you want to be (coughs) my follower, you must love me. You must love me more than your own father and mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and sisters. Yes, even more than your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Whoa. Now, that's a bigger one, isn't it? (laughs) It's not just a come and see. (laughs) You've got to love me more than anything else and anyone else. Your love for God has to be so intense that everything pales in comparison. It doesn't mean you don't love other people. Actually, we'll get to that one next week. (laughs) We must love other people. The more you love God, the more you're going to love other people. But he's saying exclusivity, the supremacy, belongs to God. You wouldn't have your family, you wouldn't have your friends if it wasn't for God. So he's just saying, let's put him first. Let God be number one in your life. Let me just talk to the men here for just two minutes because I I wrote this down this morning and I feel it's really important just to say. If you're a dad or if you're a husband here this morning, the greatest gift you can give to your wife and children is to love God supremely. Hmm? 
Because when a dad or a husband loves God supremely, it will create such an enormous security in that marriage and in that family. Because they'll see that their dad or her husband is not trying to get through on his own. He wants to depend on God. He wants God's help. And that means for them that they see that you're putting God first, which means you're not going to lead them down the wrong track. And they don't need to be worried about things. And they're not saying you're perfect. None of us are. You know, my joke, we're still waiting to build a shrine in the corner, the perfect person. Well, there's none of them here yet. But they look to you, dad, husband. He loves Jesus. <laughs> and you know, we men, we kind of think, you know, it's hard, it's hard enough to say I love my wife, say I love a bloke. <laughs> no, I'm talking about you, you've recognized who is this one you follow and you put them first. Seek first the kingdom of God. and Everything else will fall into place. And the security you can give your family because they will know you are going to put God first is the best thing they can build their lives upon. And they're not thinking you're perfect. They just know you're trying to follow God. And when you make mistakes, you apologize for it. Because the Bible says this, just as Jesus gave his life for the church, husbands are to lay down their lives for their wives. I think it's one of the most demanding verses. You're getting married soon? Why? You take it to heart. The more you love God, the more you're going to serve your wife and your kids, the more you're going to love other people when we get into that next week as well the greatest security. Jesus said for all of us, you must love me more than anything else. Spiritual growth, you see, is measured by love. In our prayer times this week, we have this week of prayer, different times where people come to prayer. <clears throat> One of the verses I read is, is just for that prayer of Paul to the Philippians. Let your love abound more and more. And someone said the word that God was giving them was, was let love be your guide. Why is it? Because love is the way we measure our growth, in that sense. You don't measure spiritual growth by how much you know of the Bible, or how much you've given to the offering. Certainly not that. I mean, you can attend every meeting and, and still not grow. You could just be doing it because you've got nothing else to do with your life. But actually, the way we love Measured by how much we love. Jesus said the most important command, out of all of the commands of the Bible, is this one. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And he'll go on and say, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah? We'll look at that bit next week. When you love God with all your... It's radical devotion. You know what we call that? Worship. I love God. Not in a romantic soppiness, but actually I lay down everything to follow him. He's first. He's my priority. 
And the disciple is one who loves Jesus supremely in the sense that I'm putting that first. You see, when you love something more than anything else, it is worship. And whatever you love the most is what you worship. If you love your boat the most, you're worshipping it. You love your own body. You know, you want to be all fit and feel, feel good about it. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you put it first, it becomes worship. It becomes an idol. One of the things in our prayer time, we need to tear down the idols. What have become the idols? You love our family. Oh, these are all good things, aren't they? Yes, I love my family. It was always family first, family first. Has the family become the idol? Jesus says, it's got to be me first. Worship is whatever we give our best to. The word worship in the Bible is a a Greek word called proskunio. It literally means to kiss, to show affection, to shower affection. When you worship something, you don't care what other people think. You're just totally involved in showing affection to the one you love. I wonder for us, when we worship God, are we more worried about how other people think? Oh, I don't want to raise my hand. Someone might think I'm a fanatic. (laughs) I don't want to get too enthusiastic. Well, I get enthusiastic watching Spurs play. I also get enthusiastic worshiping God, because actually that's even more important. Worship when you're so much in love with God, and... Again, I'm not saying this is in a, in a yucky kind of way. I love my wife in that kind of way. I like a bit of yuck there. <laughs> you know? But God, he, Jesus is my captain. He's my leader. I follow him. He's my priority. So when I say I love you, Jesus, I'm talking about you're first. <coughs> I need to come to a close. How many of you have got a dog? Wow, these dog owners. <coughs> you know when your dog comes in, he comes bounding up and then he, and he licks your hand, doesn't he? Right? Yeah, your dog licks your hand, one of the first things they do is they... <coughs> I find it disgusting. But <laughs> no, I don't. It's all right. I love your dogs. Just don't want to keep them. <coughs> but when a dog comes and licks your hand, is your dog uh, expressing fear or um, anger? or resentment, or is it love? It's love, isn't it? Yeah. Your dog is coming in, and he, he, your dog doesn't care. Your dog doesn't look around. Oh, I'll better not see who's looking at me now. <laughs> your dog comes pounding up to you, licks your hand, thinking, I don't care what anybody thinks. This is my master, and I love him or her. Yeah, they do, don't they? Do you know what? In the Greek language, the word for a dog licking the hand is proskunio, to worship, to kiss. It's that same love that we're to have for God. You know? You're my favourite. You're my Lord. You're my master. I love you. Tell me what to do next. Fetch. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Are you dog owners and are you going to keep that one in your mind now? Because your dog can't come and say, hey, God is saying, when are you going to lick my hand? (laughs) I don't mean that in a literal sense. (laughs) But it's not wondering what other people think. They just said, this is 
This is my master. And if we just close our eyes and invite the group to come up. We're just dealing with these two first marks of what it means to be a disciple today. Do you spend time with Jesus? Will you talk to him and listen to him? Would you read his word? Would you fellowship with other people who are going to speak truth and positive things into your own life? Being a disciple is spending time with Jesus. Learn to have that ongoing conversation. Secondly, do you love him supremely? Is there some priorities you need to sort out? Is there some idols you need to tear down? Don't be worried what other people think. Put him first. Father God, I pray that these next few weeks we just look at some of these simple things of what it means to be a disciple and we will take them on board. We make a choice and we make a commitment to grow and to go forward in strength with you. To spend time and to worship you. To truly worship you. Not just in the song time we have in church, but with all our lives. To put you first. To know your promise that when we put you first, you have promised to supply everything else. I pray for that one who needs just to check you out this morning that they would have that courage to press on and that you would reveal yourself in love and grace and mercy to them. For those of us who've been Christians for a while, that we would press on and grow. And this year will be a year of growth in our own lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. The group are going to be playing a song, we're going to have a, a, a good introduction.